Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. In this episode, I answer questions from my patrons, in particular, one patron who gave me a lot of questions about Bitcoin. And it's the summer solstice. I thought, hey, you know, Bitcoin passed $10,000 today, first time in well over a year after a big crash that it had in 2018. So I thought, well, this is a good timing. Maybe it's fortuitous, and I'll just tackle this question. So in the future, I encourage anybody else to ask me questions, send me an email, and let me know. And I'll ask, answer those questions in a future AMA episode. Uh, welcome to the Wonder Learn podcast. It's live now. I wanted to sell, want to do this episode with no warning whatsoever, mainly because I realized two things. First of all, today is the solstice. It's the longest day of the year, so I figured, well, we got to celebrate that. And you know, I still have light coming in through the window right now, and it's 7 p.m. in California. Second of all, is that I got buried with a bunch of questions about Bitcoin recently, and I wanted to address them. And so that's what a lot of this episode is about. It's an Ask Me Anything episode, so if somebody happens to jump online while I'm doing this, uh, go ahead and ask me a question. I'll be looking at the chat window. But for the most part, this show is dedicated to my dear young friend. He's a teenager. His name is Wolfgang Tobias, and I've known him since he was born. And he's now a teenager, and so he's asking some tough questions. And one of them is about Bitcoin. Now, his father is the CFO of Lime, and he's been in the finance industry for a lot. So what's impressive about Wolf, this uh, young boy, he is quite knowledgeable about finance. He got it all from his father's through those long conversations. And so he asked some really uh, good questions. But first, I want to give a shout out to one of my Patreon supporters who wanted me to mention about Czechia. Uh, Czechia is uh, the name that I've been promoting for the name for, instead of using the Czech Republic as the name that we call that wonderful state in the middle of Europe, but we should say Czechia. So if you want to know why, uh, go ahead and look up my article on Forbes, which is close to 100,000 views right now. So if you see it, you'll add a couple more views to that. Now, let me uh, go straight on to the questions from Wolf, and we'll see uh, what what he has to say, and I'll address some of his questions. A lot of people might be wondering, Francis, why are you talking about cryptocurrency? Who cares about cryptocurrency? And what's that got to do with travel? You're the travel guy, Francis. You shouldn't be the cryptocurrency guy or the Bitcoin guy. Well, that's true. But cryptocurrency and Bitcoin especially um, has a tremendous impact on travel because we have to all exchange currencies when we travel. We have to do... Um, have to take into account foreign exchange rates. When all of a sudden the South African RAN is much cheaper than the U.S. dollar, it's a great time to go to South Africa. Um, there's issues of remittances that we might run into. And again, Bitcoin could really impact that, affect that as well. So it could really transform the landscape in the sense that you could also go to places like Venezuela, which right now are in turmoil, and come there with Bitcoin. That might have a, a big impact as well. And it had a very personal impact on me when I went to Sudan last year. Sudan was under sanctions, 
and it wasn't allowing anybody to uh, do anything whatsoever. I mean, they had a Western Union there, but the Western Union could only send money. It wasn't allowed to receive any money. So I couldn't even use Western Union, which really shows you how bad the situation was in Sudan. I can't imagine it getting any uh, worse. Well, actually, it, it is worse now in some ways, but it's, for Lisa, sending and receiving money is probably better because the economic sanctions were taken off by Donald Trump. What I want to say is that I went to Sudan and I desperately needed money. I had no more money and I couldn't use any of my ATM cards. I could not use uh, any way of transferring any money to any bank. I couldn't use Western Union, as I mentioned. So I, I couldn't use PayPal or debit cards or any of these things. So all traditional mechanisms were completely shut down. So then I thought to myself, huh, I remember I bought Bitcoin back when it was $250. So maybe I should uh, look into that. Maybe that's a way to bypass these mechanisms. And it did. And I didn't have enough Bitcoin because $250 wasn't going to get me very far in, in Sudan. So what I decided to do was to have the mother of Wolf, who's asking all these, who's going to be asking all these questions about Bitcoin, I had the mother of Wolf uh, log into my PayPal account, which I gave her all the credentials to do that, and then send money to my friend in Austria, who's a real gearhead tech head, who actually does what helps do my website. And I told him, once he gets the money, which through PayPal, then to then buy Bitcoin, and then send me, no, actually not send me the Bitcoin, but then I'm going to meet a guy in a local cafe in Sudan, it was an outdoor, outdoor cafe, and I was going to tell the guy, I, I met him online, and I said, okay, we're going to meet face-to-face -face in this cafe. You bring $600 in U.S. dollars cash, $100 bills. I'll meet you at that cafe. Once you show me the bills, and I verify that they're not counterfeit, I will send a WhatsApp message to my buddy in Austria, and he will send you Bitcoin. We'll sit around, have a nice coffee while we wait for the transaction to go through. And once it goes through you'll get your money. Guess what? Worked perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. And in fact, we did it three times, maybe four times. We did the same basic transaction because it was worked so well. And we basically had to just sit there for about 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes to make sure the transaction went through. And then we said, great, have a nice day. And then we he gave him the money and then I left. So that was a real-world application of when Bitcoin really saved my butt. Now, let's go on to the questions. So that's to kind of answer the question of why, what's this got to do with travel? Well, it does have something to do with travel. You might be in North Korea, stuck there without any way to get money. And, you know, great. Another, another application, you could have all your stuff stolen from you. Everything. If you know your key passphrase, to, you can actually access your Bitcoin from anywhere on the planet as long as you have an internet connection. That's how powerful it is. So it's money that cannot be confiscated in any way. Um, it cannot be frozen, uh, censored. And I learned that firsthand with, um, with Bitcoin. So uh, with my experience there. So now let me look into the questions. Now, he said, full disclosure, I'm not knowledgeable about this stuff. What I list below are just some questions and thoughts. So I said, okay. First of all, he, uh, Wolf asked me, if it was as obvious that, that, that Bitcoin was such a great investment, why wouldn't money managers have already done it? Hmm. Good question, Wolf. 
In other words, why, if it's such a great investment, why haven't money managers already invested in Bitcoin? Well, the number one reason is that they cannot. Legally, many money managers are restricted. They cannot legally buy. There's only certain things they can buy. There's certain stocks or bonds, etc. Every money manager has their restrictions. And probably the only people are hedge fund managers who probably have that wide spectrum of investment vehicles that they can choose. But if you're a money manager, most likely you just can't go buy real estate in Honduras. You know, you are limited with what are the stated objectives of the fund that you are managing. And unless you are managing a, you have a complete liberty to buy anything under the planet, you want to buy a Picasso, for example, for your clients or whatever. That's true thing. Bitcoin's at that level. It's so new that it's not even on the radar screen of anybody out there. So that's one issue. Second of all, well, just because money managers are not investing in it doesn't make it a bad investment. Uh, money managers, like I mentioned, they, they're restricted in many ways. They don't imagine many things. You might have a great opportunity to, to buy, I don't know, a, 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 an antique car for some reason like that and think it might appreciate. That's not a very good example, but you get my point. So I, I, the main reason why money managers are not buying it at this point. But by the way, here's a side issue. At some point, they may be allowed, and I think they will be allowed to invest in Bitcoin. And when that happens, all of a sudden you've got billions, if not trillions of dollars under management that could flood into Bitcoin potentially. And that will be a big game changer. More on that later. All right. Number two, banks, he says, uh, Wolf says, banks are safe with your money. Is there really any corruption at the top? Plus, won't it be harder for governments to seize illicit money? Okay, several things there. First of all, banks are safe with your money. Correct. Especially in the United States, it's a pretty, pretty safe thing. It's very hard uh, not to ha uh, not to lose money on banks. Although we did have a financial crisis in 2008, 2009, but there's the FDIC, which ensures you up to $100,000 and other protections. So I think banks are indeed pretty safe in the United States, but it's not safe in many other parts of the world. And there is corruption at the top in other parts of the world where they will, they will freeze your assets. They will not allow you to access, uh, for example, in Venezuela, they may say you can only take out $100 per week, even no matter what. Um, other people might, uh, communists have had a nice history of just confiscating people's funds right off without asking them. Uh, they confiscate property, they confiscate bank accounts, they confiscate whatever. Um, and you're right, it will make it harder for governments to seize illicit money, but not as hard as you think. Bitcoin is ironically a public ledger, and so everybody can see every single transaction out there. The problem is that it's kind of semi-anonymous in the sense that you have a number, let's say 54321, that's you. Nobody knows exactly who 54321 is, but it is you. Now, if somebody's very clever, and some people are clever, they can figure out, they can figure out how to do it. And there's all sorts of forensic Bitcoin analysis that people are now starting to do. It's a new art to figure out and trace money. So it is originally a lot of people said bitcoin's anonymous and now people are starting to take 
pull that back a little bit and realize, well, it's not 100% anonymous. There are other cryptocurrencies, called, like, for example, Monero or Zcash, which employ much more anonymous-like features in it. And some people are trying to add anonymous features to Bitcoin to make it truly anonymous. And so there are, are people who are, are working on that and have succeeded in doing that. So right now, the jury's still out as far as how anonymous that will be. But the to answer Wolf's question, will it be harder for governments to seize illicit money? The short answer is absolutely yes. Um, and that is the, the yin and the yang, the pro and the con, the double-edged sword, whatever, the, the, the flip side of the coin, which is when you make something hard to... Uh, you know, not make it easy for a government to confiscate your money or to freeze your assets. Well, therefore, it's also hard for them to catch illicit money. So it's hard for the government to do immoral things against citizens, but it also allows, therefore, citizens to do immoral things against the government or against the people. So that's just the way it works. And that will be an issue for the future of Bitcoin uh, and for cryptocurrencies in general. Um, governments at some point may say enough is enough and clamp down on that stuff. Who knows? But it will be very, very hard for them to do that. But that's another story. Okay. Um, Wolf also says, well, credit cards are divisible too. Apple Pay, for example. And what he means by divisible is that one property of money is that it's divisible. So, for example, if I have you know, this water bottle and it's worth, let's say, $10, I can't divide it into, say, give you $1 of this water bottle. I can't just chop it off. It's not divisible. Um, gold, you can shave off gold, but it's kind of a pain in the butt. So one property of money is that it should be divisible. So money is divisible, and the, uh, the Bitcoin is certainly divisible, and credit cards are useful. Several forms of money can exist. We already have many forms of money. We have gold, we have uh, yen, euros, etc. And Bitcoin can just be another form of money. So just because there's a perfectly acceptable uh, solution doesn't necessarily mean that Bitcoin is completely useless at all. Um, let's go back to his questions here. I think the argument is that the that it's been the top performing asset for the last 10 years is moot because it's just a reflection of interest. So what I pointed out to Wolf, I told him that Bitcoin has been the top performing asset for the last 10 years. And he said, okay, well, great. Um, but that's moot because that's just a reflection of interest. Well, I wouldn't say that's just moot. I mean, that's a pretty significant thing. To be the top performing asset for the last 10 days is not is pretty moot. You know, like who cares? The last 10 months, not so important. Not so it's impressive, but not so but last 10 years, well, that means there's some staying power there. And you can say, well, it's just a reflection of interest. Well, okay. But I mean, when stock markets have been the best performing asset in most 20-year periods, you could say that, well, that's just a reflection of interest in stocks. So, so what? Well, that's important. <laughs> People, things that are there's a lot of interest in go up in value. You know, New York real estate, there's a reflection of interest. Property prices have been going up. Why? Because people are interested in them and therefore bid the price up. So don't discard the fact that Bitcoin's going up just because it's a reflection of interest. It's significant that it has been outperforming every single asset in the last 10-year period. So now, of course, that's been super volatile as the uh, chart that you might have seen earlier. Um, also, Wolf says, all the alleged utility is just loopholes that the governments would object to. Uh, yes, I agree that there is some of the best features of Bitcoin 
are things that the government doesn't like. Um, and that will be an issue. But same thing that means that you could have said the same thing about email or the internet, that the government doesn't like email or the internet because it could create all sorts of things. A lot of governments don't like Twitter, don't like Facebook. They ban a lot of social media out there because the government doesn't like it. Doesn't mean that it's not doesn't have utility and doesn't mean that at some point those things will take off despite that many governments will dislike that. So that's, uh, that's, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, throw that away. Now here, in Quora, this, he found the f several things. So he just quoted from Quora. I don't know if that's the way you pronounce that website. It's where you ask questions and get answers. And one person said, well, one reason that Bitcoin has gone up is simply sentimental valuation. He said, quote, if not for sentiment, they are worthless since they have no utility, nor are they a commodity. I disagree with that. It's no utility, by the way. And and by the way, some governments value them as commodities and not as currencies, uh, uh, cryptocurrencies. Okay. Next, he says, in some ways, it is similar to gold, which owes much of its valuation to sentiment rather than reality. Yet gold is still around and people think it's valuable because others think it's valuable. This creates a snowball effect until it all falls apart. Well, guess what? Gold's valuation hasn't fallen apart since the dawn of humanity, since we discovered gold and since we've been looking at it and shiny objects. Wow. It has not lost any interest. And so it could be that Bitcoin, yes, just like gold, is now fashionable and 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 has this snowball effect and there's sentiment around it, sentimental valuation, as the guy points it out. Well, that doesn't mean it's going to be a fad. It's not going to mean it's going to go away. It could, just like gold, stick around for hundreds or even thousands of years. You don't know. Um, but I th so far, it's it's got a pretty amazing staying power. Uh, for the last, like I said, uh, 10 years since it was created. Okay, number two, it's not insured. Yes, no reputable company, he says, or or quoting again from Quora, no reputable company or first world country is insuring them, and it is unlikely that anyone with a good reputation will. At some point, I am sure lawyers and scoundrels will provide some sort of insurance similar to the credit default swaps or something similar, but even those will be highly susceptible to failure given their intent. Not to mention insurance is not a free, so Bitcoin will become even more expensive to transact once it is insured by someone. Now, I'm not sure about this insurance argument. I mean, there's, I don't know if stocks, I guess, are insured or uh, U.S. dollars. I mean, there's certain insurance to U.S. dollars, but there's a lot of investments, a lot of assets that don't necessarily have insurance uh, related to them. And I think the insurance company would come along to insure Bitcoin if that's important to somebody. Um, but I, don't, I just don't see that. I don't see this argument as being very um, persuasive that, what, first of all, it's going to become insured at some point, most likely. And whether it does or not, I don't see that as being a, a, a deal breaker. Number three, he says it's not secure. The idea that crypto is secure is nonsense. I'm a computer science professor and I teach security. People don't understand what secure means. They think it means it cannot be stolen or hacked. It does not. There's no such thing as an unhackable crypto. There's only crypto that is secure for a usually short period of time. I don't, Bitcoin's never, ever been hacked in 10 years. There have been exchanges that have been hacked, that's for sure, but not 
the actual blockchain. Because in order to hack the blockchain, you have to have 51% of the computing power that's behind it. And that is a really tall order. So the, I, I, it is secure and certainly more secure than most banks. Um, banks have a central point of, of failure. In other words, you have to go and you just have to attack Bank of America and then you can break in. Not that that's an easy thing to do, but that's the way you can do it. Uh, same thing with PayPal. Same thing with a lot of other centralized places. You can just hack it in that way. This episode was dedicated to Wolf, who's unbeknownst to him, a patron to my uh, to my Patreon.com, thanks to his parents. And so I hope this has been educational for you. And uh, last thing I want to mention, I guess, is there is a point right now, governments in the United States, sorry, outside the United States, and including the United States, hold a lot of assets and reserve currency is the US dollar. But a lot of people use other reserve currencies, people, uh, companies, uh, should I say not just companies, but mainly countries have euros in their reserve currency, they have um, yen in their reserve currency, and of course the U.S. dollar. I think it's Slovakia, but I could be wrong about that. One country is starting to actually have Bitcoin as their reserve currency, uh, one of their reserve currencies. So this is going to be a big, big game changer when that happens. Huge game changer because obviously governments have a lot of money. And so if they decide, well, we want to have 1% of our reserve currencies be Bitcoin, that's a lot of money. And the Bitcoin has a limited supply, and it's basically... At this point, now that 18 million Bitcoins have been mined and there's only going to be 21 million, and that last 3 million Bitcoins is going to come in the next 100 years. So basically, we're plateaued. There's no more Bitcoins really being created that much. There's going to be a halving event coming up in next year in 2020, and that's going to mean even fewer Bitcoins are being mined. And so as a result, the supply is extremely constricted at this point. And so when you have a spike in demand, it spikes the price. It's not like they can print my more Bitcoin because the actual software, the protocol that everybody agrees to, uh, can't they can't change that. So it's fixed versus any other currency where you can just print more euros or dollars if you, if, the, if you need them. So it's kind of like gold in that sense where it's hard to just print more gold. You know, we either have gold or we don't. Maybe at some point we're going to be able, gold will be like a US dollar because maybe through um playing with atoms and 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 using nanotechnology we're going to be able to create gold out of artichokes or something like that but as far as bitcoin that's not going to be able to be done unless of course the entire community decides to do it which is extremely exceedingly unlikely so when i say community it's all the the miners and the and the, and the bit the people who own bitcoin and during the time I've been speaking, by the way, Bitcoin has just gone up another $500. So now it's past $10,800. I don't think it's going to last. I think at some point it's going to pull back. And by the way, a little prediction that I made at the end of last year, 2018, I predicted that Bitcoin would double in price this year. It's more than doubled. Uh, it's nearly tripled. So I was wrong. Sorry about that. Have a great day. Bye. And that concludes this episode of the WanderLearn podcast, where we explore travel technology and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to WanderLearn.com and click on the latest episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. 
Here's one last reason to remember FTAPON. If you like what I do and want to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash, yep, you guessed it, FTAPON. That's where you can pick up some sweet rewards for as little as $1 a month. And remember, subscribing to the WanderLearn podcast helps, but downloading each episode helps even more. Please share the podcast, review it, and sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. This show was edited by Rejoice Tapon. The music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon, encouraging you to wander and learn.